Good evening. It's good to see everyone tonight. Um, our lesson, our study this evening, as Chuck mentioned, is going to continue on the theme uh, of looking at places that are, are significant in Scripture. Um, in, in looking at this, uh, the interesting thing to me uh, and, and why I enjoyed uh, quite honestly, looking at, at some of these things uh, for myself, it's difficult sometimes. I think when we when we look at the the biblical narrative that that Chuck mentioned earlier, and not only are we reading about something that happened a long time ago, and maybe there's a a slight disconnect feeling just because of time. But it's also something that happened on a different part of the planet from where most of us have, have spent the majority of our lives. So when we, when we read the Bible while, while through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we have something that we can absolutely connect with. A hundred percent. I'm not saying that, that we cannot. We can connect with this 100%. There, there is sometimes in reading it, well, I just, man, I, I can't imagine what that was like. Uh, a, a culture unlike anything I've ever lived in, a time that I didn't live in, a place in this world that I've never been to. Um, I know there's some in this audience that, that have been to uh, this part of the world. Um, I'm, I'm jealous in as in as. Uh, pure a Christian sense as I can, I can use that, that phrase, uh, I'm, I'm jealous uh, of, of the, the opportunity you've had, and, and maybe one day uh, in my life I'll have that opportunity as well. Um, so when we look at this, this, this lesson tonight is, is truly meant to, to just in, in many ways be very informative uh, about a place. Um, we, we obviously want to look at how it, it does tie in and connect to uh, the, the Bible story, in particular that of Christ. Uh, but, uh, but there, there won't, won't be a lot of, of deep uh, theological thought. Uh, I'll go ahead and, and let you know. You're, you're not going to have to uh, really, really put on some hard thinking caps tonight. So uh, maybe in that way uh, you can, you can kind of relax a little bit and and, uh, and enjoy. So, the winds and the sea obey him. Life of Christ on the Sea of Galilee. <clears throat> we'll first look at the geography. Uh, my first, uh, first uh, and only map. I, I was laughing with some others earlier about maps, and uh, after I got to looking, I, I realized I didn't have as many in here as I thought. Um, I'll take it back. I think I've got one more a little bit later. So as we look at the geography of the, the Sea of Galilee, to start off with, the Sea of Galilee is just the name used um, in, in uh, a few places in Scripture uh, for this, this lake, this body of water that we're going to be talking about. Uh, in Matthew 4.18, it's, it's called uh, the Sea of Tiberias. Um, like many bodies of water, the, the name will often come from the region, come from a major city in the area, uh, could come from uh, mul multiple things, something about the, uh, the, the body of water. 
we know about the Dead Sea and, and why it's called the Dead Sea because uh, of the, the salt content or the, the, I think it's the sulfur content there uh, that causes uh, not a lot to, to live in that body of water. So you can have names for bodies of water for different reasons. Sea of Tiberias in Matthew 4.18 um, modern Arabs living in the area around the sea retain this name today. Uh, and again, some of those uh, in the audience who have been there themselves, uh, probably what you've, you've heard or a variation of what you've heard it called there, uh, obviously, you know, in a native tongue would sound a little bit different. Um, also called the Lake of Gennesaret in Luke 5.1. Uh, if you look uh, to the western coast, uh, western, kind of northwestern coast on that, that map. Um, I've got a, got a little pointer here, I think, if you can see it. Um, that's uh, the city of Gennesaret, uh, so that would be, uh, be reason for the name there. Uh, something else there in that area of Gennesaret to the northwest uh, of the sea is, is a, a, um, a large um, agricultural area. Uh, area, a large uh, section that was, was very fertile, a fertile plain, sometimes called the Fertile Plain of Gennesaret. Uh, so that would, would have been very well known uh, for the folks in the area and even still today. And then finally, the Sea of Chinnereth, uh, or Chinnereth, uh, the H is left off in, in a few different places. Uh, this is from a city on the northwest shore also, but uh, most likely the sea had the name first. And the reason for that is uh, Chinnereth, or Chinnereth, uh, means uh, liar. Uh, not uh, you told a, uh, an untruth, but L-Y-R-E, or harp. If you look at the shape of the Sea of Galilee, you'll notice that it has a harp shape. And so Sea of Chinnereth uh, would have been uh, in reference to that shape uh, of the body of water there. As you start to look around the Sea of Galilee and the, the different regions that made up those, those areas around it, the province of Galilee was on the western coast. And then on the eastern coast, you had uh, Oronitis and Batania. Uh, those regions both just there above where you see Decapolis uh, written on this map. Um, Oronitis and Batania those regions would have been part of the Roman Empire in the first century. Uh, they were particularly known for uh, their grain production and their wine production. Uh, it would have been uh, very, um, very good to have your wine or your grain from that area to the east of the Sea of Galilee. Um, the Galilean region hence the, the name we know most, I think, most commonly, Sea of Galilee. The Galilean region was on the uh, west in between where you have the Mediterranean Sea uh, and the Sea of Galilee, and that was divided into the upper Galilean region and the lower Galilean region. Um, if you think back to the children of Israel as they went into the Promised Land and we remember the tribes, uh, as those tribes began to settle in certain areas, the area of Galilee would have been uh, where the tribe of Naphtali would have, uh, would have taken up residence. Uh, there was a little bit of overlap of the tribe of Dan in that area as well, uh, but Naphtali would have made up the largest part <clears throat> of that Galilean region on the west coast uh, of the sea. If you look at this map, you'll, you'll notice there are 
several cities around the sea itself. Um, if you look at the dimensions of the sea, it's 13 miles long, top to bottom, and seven and a half miles wide. We're not talking about a big body of water at all. Um, 32 miles in circumference. Uh, so, again, it's not a big body of water. So to think that there were, um, at one point, as many as 15 different cities around, uh, actually bordering on the coast around the sea, is quite a lot. Um, there were at least seven that would have been uh, probably what we would call major cities. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about some of those here in a minute. You had uh, Jerusalem, about 60 miles um, southeast. And then 27 miles to the west, you had the Mediterranean Sea. And then a little over 100 miles uh, south, down the Jordan River, you had the Dead Sea. So the Jordan River enters the Sea of Galilee from the north at its northernmost point and exits at its southernmost point. Now, just a few different things as far as the geography goes and, and starting to paint this picture of, of what this looked like and, and some of the areas around it uh, all during the first century in the life of Christ. So what about the topography? The basin that the Sea of Galilee sits in is about 700 feet below sea level, about 68 stories down, if you want to think about it uh, in terms of kind of picturing a building. Um, when you look at that and then look at where the Mediterranean Sea is, uh, just 27 miles, uh, again, to the west, uh, you can see a, a stark contrast between these two bodies of water. And then as we start to look at what's around uh, the, the Sea of Galilee, even more contrast. So completely bordered uh, outside of the Jordan, uh, Jordan River Basin coming down, completely bordered by very, very steep hills, uh, in particular the Golan Heights, they were in the Galilean Hills running the length of that eastern coast. And those reach about 2,500 feet in elevation. So to go from 2,500 feet above sea level to 700 feet below sea level, uh, just at its bank, is, is a pretty, pretty significant contrast in elevation. On the western side, you had Mount Arable, and Mount Arable's peak was around 600 feet. And then... Something that's unique, and you can see it a little bit in this picture, but there were east to west, or are east to west valleys that go through the hills into the sea basin. And we'll talk about this, why that's significant here, here in just a minute as it, it relates to the climate uh, around, uh, around and within the sea. Uh, and that's something that, that we'll probably all know from, from our scripture uh, was significant about the Sea of Galilee. But as we look at the topography, we're going to see how that, that plays into it. The sea itself, only about 140 to 150 feet deep. Um, it's, it stays around there in present day, um, as deep as 200 feet. Uh, they, there's some speculation in, in the first century uh, of where the depth was. 200 feet is kind of the, the most commonly thought depth for it, its deepest point. Uh, in the first century during the time of Christ. Very, very heavily regulated in present day. Uh, this is a freshwater uh, body of water. 
and so it is, um, it is the primary source of fresh water for the region today. And because of that, it's highly regulated by the government in the area. Um, in 1932, uh, they put a dam in where uh, the Jordan River uh, flows out in the south. And the reason they did that is so that they would be able to better regulate uh, the elevation, the, uh, um, the depth uh, of the sea. When, uh, when that dam was built in 1932, uh, Degania Dam, uh, they built that, and during the heaviest rain seasons, uh, it allows the lake to be about five to six feet uh, deeper than it would normally be um, uh, during, during the other seasons of the year. So again, today can potentially get up to, to around 200 feet deep, so not a very deep lake either. Uh, not very big and not very deep. So the climate. And now it's where we start to kind of recall our Bible stories. We're starting to think a little bit uh, now maybe of what do I remember about the Sea of Galilee, right? Well, because of the way it's shaped, because of the, the steep cliffs and hills around it, because of its low level, uh, both in depth of the sea itself and its depth under sea level, um, it was prime for very violent storms. And not only violent storms, but uh, very quick um, in, in developing storms. So when you think about the, the basin itself, you've got a semi-tropic, very uh, uh, temperate uh, type of area almost all year round. It's going to average around 88 degrees in August and around 57 degrees in January. You're going to have about 68% humidity consistently throughout the year and rainfall around 14 to 16 inches uh, every year. So you've got a lot of warm air sitting there at the lake but just above that, around its entire perimeter, you've got all the cold air. And you don't have to be James Spann to figure out what happens, right? So cold air comes rushing down the cliffs into that basin of warm air, and when it does, uh, you've got the storms that can happen very, very quickly. Because of the size of the lake, it's so, so small side to side, that air coming down goes almost immediately to the center of the lake. So when it goes to the center of the lake, and being so shallow, it doesn't take any of the energy, and it causes that storm to crop up very quickly and then press to the outside of the lake. So where you didn't want to be was in the center of the lake when one of these storms came up, because that's where it was going to be its worst. Um, let's see here. <clears throat> The, uh, one more thing on this, those valleys we talked about. Uh, so the valleys that go east to west, that also contributed to the climate, to the storms as well. So what you would have is you would have the cold air coming down off the cliffs. You'd have the warm air that's already sitting in the basin. And then through those valleys, you would have moderate temperature air, if you want to call it that from a temperature standpoint, but it would, it would be cyclonic. So as the air is coming through those valleys east to west, it's, it's spinning, it's whipping, and it then 
comes in to where the warm, warmer air and the colder air are colliding, already causing the storm, and it just creates much more cyclonic wind than you would normally have without it. So those, those valleys east to west uh, just contributed to, to very, very dangerous uh, storms that would pop up on, uh, on the lake, on the, on the sea. <clears throat> so you can't talk about a body of water without talking about what kind of fish you can catch in it, right? Uh, it's just, just part of the deal. So primary commerce on the Sea of Galilee, time of Christ, would have, been, uh, would have been the fishing industry. Today, primary, primary industry on the Sea of Galilee uh, is the tourist industry. Uh, there are only a couple of harbors left uh, on the sea, and those are primarily occupied by, by tourist boats uh, where they take people out on the sea. Um, but commercial fishing industry would have dominated the, uh, the sea coast uh, during the time of Christ. There were no natural harbors, meaning if you look at, uh, if you look at that map, uh, there's not a lot there from the standpoint of, of inlets and, and what we would term a natural harbor, right? Uh, pretty, pretty evenly, uh, the coastline pretty, uh, pretty evenly spread out. So there were about 15 man-made harbors. Again, that's around a 32-mile shoreline. So 15 man-made harbors around 32 miles, um, you didn't have a lot of beach. Uh, you didn't have a lot of beach anyway. It was, it was mostly rock. Um, but uh, it, it, it made up the lion's share of the, uh, the coastline uh, were the harbors for the fishermen. Um, the largest was Capernaum. Uh, and again, Capernaum will be a name we'll remember and, and think about here uh, again here in just a, just a bit. The unique thing about the harbor uh, at Capernaum was that it was about 2,500 feet long. Now again, not a lot of coastline, and 2,500 feet is just the harbor at Capernaum. The other interesting thing about that is the city of Capernaum was not 2,500 feet wide at the coastline. It went back off from the, the sea a little bit, but uh, the harbor itself was actually wider than the city uh, on, the, on the shoreline uh, of the Sea of Galilee. So Capernaum was the largest harbor, had the most fishing boats coming out of it, but if you had to look at the, the epicenter, if you will, uh, of the fishing industry on the lake, uh, it would have been the harbor at Magdala. And Magdala, uh, again, is a name that, that you might recognize, um, often associated with Mary. The reason that Magdala was considered the epicenter of the fishing industry for the lake is that is where they have determined uh, the first salting of fish took place. Uh, that was where the fish were, were taken, salted, uh, so that they could then be uh, taken to, to different um, uh, not festivals, not the word I'm looking for, but markets, uh, taken to different markets uh, in further out places from the sea. It would be preserved, and they'd be able to take those out uh, and sell them at market. Uh, when you look at the species of fish uh, that were there in the lake, uh, they've recorded about 32 uh, different species of fish. 
there are three that are primarily referenced in Scripture, uh, at least by description, and best we can tell, this is the fish that was being referenced. Um, the first one would be sardines. Uh, and even today, sardines are, are a, a large um, portion of the diet in the area. Uh, it's, it's believed that the two small fish uh, that were part of the, the miraculous feeding uh, were sardines. Uh, so that would have been, been the primary fish there. The mushed fish, or, or as it's known today, the St. Peter's fish, uh, that was another very common fish, uh, supposedly very delicious. I don't know if anybody who's been in the area, I don't know if you've had any mushed fish. Yeah, yeah pretty good. What, what, would you, what would you compare it to? Is it, is it uh, cropping? Okay. Uh, I think I uh, saw some estimates that those fish could get around anywhere from 16 to 18 inches long. Uh, so not, not huge, but you know, not, not crappie either. Um, and then the last one, catfish. And uh, catfish is known to be in the lake now. And it's, it is thought that uh, in Matthew 13, 48, uh, when Jesus talks about... Let me pull that up. Uh, Matthew 14, 38. Uh, I'm sorry, 13, 48. There is a reference to the bad fish. And I know, especially being a southerner, I'm going to get booed off the stool for it, but I would agree it was the bad fish. Never been a catfish fan. Uh, all right, when it was full, meaning the, the nets, when it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers but threw away the bad. It would have been considered a bad fish at the time because it's not kosher, no, no scales, right? If you ever got a hold of a catfish, uh, they are just slick and slimy. Uh, with, uh, <laughs> you know, not a scale to speak of, right, would have been something that they would have, have not eaten. So considered to be the bad fish uh, of Matthew 13, 48. So those are the three, three primary, but biggest thing we're taking away from it, commerce on the sea, by far, uh, would have been fishing. So, take all that and we look at the relationship, if you will, that our Lord had with the Sea of Galilee. We, we understand maybe a little bit better where it is, what's around it. Uh, we understand what it, what it looked like, why, why there, there would have been storms so prevalent upon it, uh, and what people around it were doing. Although Scripture isn't, it is clear that Jesus had no permanent residence, what does he say? Son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Right? Capernaum, on that northwest shore of the sea, was for all intents and purposes his home during his adult life. If we think about Jesus in his, in his Galilean ministry, all in that area, again, there to the, uh, to the west of the sea, when he would go out and return on those, those Galilean ministry trips. It was Capernaum where he was coming back to. We know that his mother had a, a residence 
there, uh, what, what that residence looks like. We're not entirely sure who all it was shared with, but we do know his, his mother resided there. Uh, so Jesus, again, for all intents and purposes, Jesus had, had, a, had a coastal home. He lived on the Sea of Galilee. He would have understood very well that predominant industry. He would have understood very well, you better not get caught out in a boat in the middle of that sea whenever you see those clouds coming down over the mountains. Uh, would have understood those things very well. We also know that Matthew 4, verse 13 through 22, Jesus speaks to Peter, Andrew, James, and John as they are going about their livelihood of fishing there at the Sea of Galilee. Not only that, but Philip in that area as well, and then Matthew there in the city of Capernaum itself. He was a tax collector there in Capernaum. In Mark 2, 13 through 17, we see his interaction with Matthew and calling him to his service as well. If you think about the, the parables that we read about in Scripture, more than half of the parables we read about would have occurred somewhere, would have been told from Christ somewhere in that area around the Sea of Galilee. When you think about the, uh, the miracles that we read in Scripture, the majority of those were performed somewhere around the Sea of Galilee. If you really look at the, the highlight reel, if you will, uh, of our Lord's ministry then you see, uh, you see the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount would uh, believe to have been in that area. Just uh, You'll see it there on this map. If that laser pointer is working or not on this. Um, just, just at the top uh, near Gennesaret, uh, just above that, as uh, where the Sermon on the Mount is believed to have taken place. Um, there's, there's some speculation there because uh, of the language used in some of the Gospels, one, uh, one about uh, a flat area uh, and another about a mountain area, uh, both in reference to that. Uh, could, have been, could have been a couple of different things. Uh, could have actually been two different sermons, uh, or could have been that it was a flat spot on top of a mountain area. Been, could have been both, uh, but believed to be in that area uh, just beside the sea, just north of Gennesaret. Uh, think about the, the feeding of the multitude. Twice. Uh, both of those uh, happening in that Bethsaida area uh, where, uh, again, fish would have been common, uh, a common part of their diet. That would have been very common for that young man to have had uh, two of those sardines uh, with him that day. Uh, because why? Because he lived in a fishing village. He lived on, on a, a body of water where it was the primary industry. If you look at uh, our Lord walking on the water, we know that occurred on the Sea of Galilee. Again, a body of water he would have been very, very familiar with because of the area that he lived in. If you think about calming the storm and why now we understand why the storm had come up so quickly. When they're out on that boat, they had 
fought against uh, wind. Uh, when Christ had said uh, for them to go out into the water, uh, and then He went up into the hills to pray by Himself, He needed some time, He needed some of that peace that we read about our Lord needing to take sometimes after being overwhelmed by, uh, by a group of people uh, performing miracles and speaking. And uh, we know often our, our Lord would, would retreat away for, for time in prayer with, with His Father. When He told the apostles to go across the lake, they were not able to make it more than about three, four miles. Uh, they were out in the bad spot, out in the bad area. Remember, you've got a lake that's only about seven and a half miles wide. So they were in an area that would have been central to one of these storms popping up. Uh, it all makes sense from what we know now, uh, topographically from the area and, and the climate. When you look at uh, events such as Peter's confession and Jesus' response, I mean, you think about the gravity of that moment in the biblical narrative. We have Peter confessing our Lord as the Son of God. We have our Lord extending to Peter at that point the, the keys to the kingdom, the figurative uh, understanding of uh, the church and its establishment. A, a, a pivotal point in Scripture on the coast of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus' uh, Jesus' appearance before His ascension. Our Lord has died, uh, has risen from the dead, uh, but before He ascends to heaven, He appears again to His disciples here at the Sea of Galilee. Uh, he, he breaks bread with them. He, he prepares a meal. It was on the sea that Jesus cast out the demons. We, we have an interaction with our Lord and and demonic possession. Um, uh, there was accusation there of, of what? Uh, that that our, our Lord was in cahoots uh, with them. Uh, we've, we've got so many different things. He healed a centurion's servant. Um, this one, this one was, was interesting, and I'd forgotten was in the area. The apostles arguing over who's the greatest. Arguing over who's the greatest. That occurred there at the Sea of Galilee. And then he first foretells his death and resurrection to his apostles there on the Sea of Galilee. You think about the, the impact as, as we, we go through uh, the biblical narrative, as we get to the point of uh, our Lord is, is showing in so many ways who he is. His ministry has begun. Uh, there's been interaction with John. Uh, our Lord's been baptized. And now you have this first revealing to His, his closest followers. Hey, I'm going to die. I'm going to be put to death. But I'll overcome death. That first revealing, again, such a pivotal moment uh, as we think about the story of our Lord and, and our story as Christians. Uh, all happening right there um, on the coast of the Sea of Galilee. So this was, this was my, my intent, again, to, to talk a little bit about uh, this place that was not only special to our Lord because it was home for at least a portion of His life. His family was there for a portion of His life. 
Those who were his closest and dearest friends, this was their home. James and John, Peter. This was where he felt very comfortable in communicating uh, and ministering. Our Lord went to Galilee because there was an acceptance of, their, of him there that he didn't receive everywhere. When our Lord was in the Jerusalem area, um, there was always some pretty heavy pushback, if we recall. Uh, Jewish leaders didn't, didn't want to do anything but try to trip him up. But when he was in Galilee, uh, there, was, there was a different feel to those he spoke to. It was a very special place to him, uh, and I think that's one of the reasons why we see in that place him doing so many of these special things. Some other ideas about the area, uh, just, just quickly, and then we can wrap up. Because of, um, there were a lot of sulfur springs around the lake as well, and because of the, the temperature and the climate around the lake, um, it was understood, it's, it's been told that people would go to that area to seek healing. Uh, I believe there were, uh, there were some healing properties. They didn't understand science quite like we understand it now, and there's reason for some of that. Uh, but those springs and, the, and again, the, the climate, uh, there would be people that would go there for healing. Well, what, what better place for our Lord to be healing people uh, than a place where he knew he would find sick people? I uh, thought that was, was pretty interesting to, to read uh, that there would have been a lot of people seeking healing in the area, not even necessarily from him. Um, so when you, when you look at that, and then when you also look at the makeup of the people around the lake, remember we've got to the, to the west, uh, the area of Galilee, we've got uh, to the east, the Roman Empire. You've got what? You've got Jews, and you've got Gentiles. You've got an area he could stay in, and depending on which side of the lake he was on, uh, he could minister to a lot of different people. There's, there's something special about the Sea of Galilee when it comes to the story of Christ. Uh, and I, I said, I enjoyed learning a little bit more about it and, and, and some of the things maybe we take for granted when we read some of these stories uh, throughout Scripture and, and how they occurred. But uh, that, is, that is all I have for you tonight. So I uh, hope you enjoyed it and maybe it'll give you an opportunity to go and study some more about it uh, yourselves as well. So I appreciate it.